Esme. She's a queen. This is dedicated to all my beautiful queens, all my beautiful ladies out there. She's a queen. Go queen. for joining the Key Chat Podcast. So today I have Miss Daniela Green and she's from Houston, Texas, and she's a career strategist coach. And she helps women who wants to move up the ladder and negotiate in the tech, oil, and gas industry. So I'm definitely excited to talk with her. So I want to go ahead and give her the floor. So how are you doing today? I'm doing wonderful. Thanks for asking. How are you? I'm doing great. So I read up on what you do and on the show, we talk a lot about entrepreneurship, but I also tell people too, for those who are in the career industry, because entrepreneurship is not for everyone. So I do tell people That's true. who are in the career field, have your goal set for that too. You know, if you want to move up, have that goal in place. So give me some background on exactly what you do as a strategist. Sure. So there's two sides to my business, my company. Um, I work with executives and executive teams um, and specifically corporations in tech or in the oil and gas industry to help them meet each other. And what that means is um, the oil and gas industry is moving from non-renewable resources such as oil, gas, and coal and they are switching to renewable resources uh, such as wind, solar, and hydropower. And so helping these corporations and smaller corporations that depend on oil and gas for business transition to green tech uh, solutions and strategies and pulling them into that market so that they can find their niche and so that they can find where they fit in in that area before it becomes um, overdone. Uh, the industry now is very new. So a lot of corporations don't want to waste funds just exploring. Uh, they want a smooth transition as they switch over to going green, reducing their carbon print, reducing the output that they give into the environment as far as pollution. So I work with corporations to help them switch to that and to pull tech, not tech companies into uh, the ring with oil and gas companies so that they can pair themselves together. The second side is the side that I call my passion project because I worked work specifically with women of color who are first time leaders. And that means, you know, I'll typically get a woman who's been in the industry 10, 15, 20 years, and it's time for her to pivot into director, VP, executive or senior leadership. And so a lot of people, I see these memes about, you know, oh, black women and Latinas need to ask for more money. And while mm -hmm. that's true, it's easier said than done. In the Black community, we typically do not know um, how those conversations sound. We don't know what those negotiations look like. And so I pulled them in to help them, one, revamp their uh, professional presence and brand, and then pull them into those conversations and prepare them for that type of interview. So first question I want to ask you from what you just mentioned, how did you end up 
working specifically with people in the that field with oil and gas like what was your background prior to that like what made you what led you in that specific part of you know the corporate world so it's a passion project for me because I went to school for engineering um, and the pattern picked up. I was the only woman of color in the engineering department in my field for, I went for industrial mechanical. It was a dual program. Um, and so I was the only woman of color there. And then when I went to work for Shell Oil uh, here in Texas, I was always the only woman of color in a lot of rooms full of men, you know, and full of other nationalities, other racial identities. And I was always kind of not really comfortable in that zone. And so conversations, negotiations, and my career, the politics of it, it was a lot more complex than most people would realize because it wasn't a safe space for me, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. I had no familiarity and I had no one to go to. And so as I began to work my way up to the top and I began to pick up mentorship, uh, and leaders to help me along the way. I wanted to kind of reach back and do that for the next black woman that's trying to understand how to maneuver uh, in a white male dominated field such as tech. Um, tech is also a field where it's specifically dominated by white males. So even white women find it hard to move up to the top because a lot of them just simply prefer to have a, a man in those leadership types of roles. Look at what's happening over at Google right now. Um, mm -hmm. So uh, those industries, while they are lucrative financially, it's very hard to move past a, a glass ceiling. So I wanted to create a blueprint for women in our community. So, and I was in a, not similar as far as the type of work, but I came from an industry where it was male dominated, white male dominated. Right. We didn't even have black males at the company I worked at. And I was the only African-American female in the department I was in. So I totally get it, <laughs> what you're saying. So when you receive your clients, what are some of the common things, pitfalls or challenges I would say that your clients face because I guess I personally know how it is when you're a minority female working in corporate in the corporate world and it's not easy what are right. some of the common challenges that these women face in that industry so for so let's look at tech the tech industry is ever growing and it's booming but a lot of people as they move into these roles where they are huge critical thinkers and problem solvers for complex issues within those organizations. Uh, they don't know that for when you bring solutions to the table for iCloud or for some type of technological software solution, you should be asking if you can own a patent to that, right? Mm -hmm. You should be negotiating that because is it nice to make 250K a year? Or how would you like to collect off of that for the rest of your life because you solved a major issue? And so the tech industry is now opening a different type of negotiation. And women don't typically know that. They just kind of take that first offer and go in. Meanwhile, their white male counterpart is getting a check. He's also getting a residual income. And he's probably going to make it to the top because he negotiated that patent to tie him to the corporation. Uh, so there's levels to this. Um, when it comes to oil and gas, uh, you need to really understand how to communicate where their weaknesses are. Right now, they are looking at renewable resources. They are facing uh, a possible not extinction, but it's complex right now for them. And so you have to understand how to pitch and sell into that. 
Uh, and so those are some of the big issues I see with women. Uh, we'll get in those interviews. Yeah, we get past the phone interview. And once we get into the negotiations and that panel interview, it's like a flat line. Mm. Mm. Do you find that a lot of the women who you work with, do they basically say that they're dealing with a lot of racism commonly? Absolutely. Mm. Uh, and it's not just Black women. It's Asian women. It's Hispanic women, which are... Hispanic women, uh, the Latinx community, they are the lowest paid, statistically speaking. They typically get the lower offers. Um, and so, yeah, those corporations, those recruiters are non-technical. You know, they mm -hmm. don't know. They just know, okay, you took the first offer. Okay, we submitted you. Girl, you got a good job. You're working for Google, but you could have asked for fifty dollars to $40,000 more. So nobody's telling them that. Uh, it impacts uh, women severely. How do your clients find you? A lot of my clients find me because I host live classes for free on Facebook. Uh, like I say, it's a passion of mine. Uh, or I'll meet them in the organization that I'm hired to consult. And they're like, hey, can I ask you a quick question? Um, and it's funny because this started with women from my church pulling me aside in the parking lot, asking me questions. And so um, I, I, I esteem myself in the fact that I'm approachable. And so I meet so many people by word of mouth, my free live master classes that I have on Facebook. Um, and sometimes on Instagram. So that's how people find me on LinkedIn. Okay, okay. So I know you said several times as we were talking that this is a passion for you. So mm -hmm. what stirred you to do this? So obviously, I know you mentioned your background. So were there any specific experiences that you went through that you said, hey, I'm going to help the next sister so that she doesn't have to experience certain things? Like what led you to be so passionate about this? Absolutely. Uh, in the Black community, we have a lot of cultural layers to us and complexities, right? Uh, you have the light skin versus dark skin, and then you have the issue where Black men and Black women feel separated from each other in corporate America. Uh, and then we also have the token syndrome, where we feel like it's only so many of us that can make it to the top, right? And so when you do see that Black VP, he or she does not want you to get too familiar with them. Uh, so they're very distant sometimes. And with those complexities that exist culturally, um, and we don't feel comfortable rocking the boat or negotiating, we have a tendency to click up with people who are in the same boat as us. And that yeah. unfortunately doesn't progress us forward. Um, and so that's what made me start that is because the, the, the conversations that they're having on the golf course, that's not accessible to a lot of people in our community. We don't know what to do uh, when someone, someone just hits us with a, so tell me about why you're here and why you're applying. How do you make a, a lasting impression? Uh, what do you expect uh, when you ask for more money? What if it's an awkward silence? Uh, we don't have those keys. And so that's what inspired me to do this uh, because when I worked my way up into leadership, I would notice I would get these really smart, amazing uh, African-American women, African-American men, Latinas, and they would get in the interview and they would not really push it. And that's what makes us confident in you as a leader. If you're able to communicate what you bring to the table. And so it, it became a passion of mine to make sure I can equip as many Black women, Latina women as possible on how to get to that table. So I know you said typically your clients find you because you said you're very accessible and everything. So take me through the steps of like when you secure that client, how do you assess their situation? What are some of the typical things that you find yourself 
having to do for your clients? What are the typical needs of the average client who, you know, they're minority female, they're working in this industry, they're being underpaid, they're, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm assuming, being overlooked sometimes for promotions, things of that nature. Right. What are, just how do you help them? What's some of the main things that you start off with to empower and coach your clients? So that is a really good question. So thanks for asking. Uh, the first place I like to start is, what do you bring to the table? So no one cares about title anymore. The first place mm-hmm. I'll start is asking you about your skill set because we have to make that relevant to today's market, right? So if you Mm -hmm. understand oil and gas, I have to make you competent and showcase the fact that you understand the the market as far as renewable and uh, non-renewable resources go. You have to reposition and pivot. Um, And the second thing I'll do is a career assessment. Uh, This is for me to determine your real market value. So a project manager with 10 years and a project manager with 25 years, they are in two different places in their career and they should not get the same offer. And so your real market value is based off of what you actually bring to the table, your tenure, your education, everything you've worked hard to build uh, upon, you need to be able to also bank on that. And so I start there so that when I reposition the LinkedIn and your resume, you sound like a competent leader. You sound, uh, you have the authority, you have the expertise showcased as a portfolio, not a resume. And those are the two things that also differ. As we move up the ladder, our resume should read more like a portfolio. And so I Mm -hmm. like to say that my clients are transitioning from responsible for all over their resume to actually showing you a full portfolio of what they bring to the table, how they can problem solve to you for issues on today's market. Uh, So that's the first place I'll start. Um, And depending on the next steps for them on what their desires are, I would prep them for a panel interview, depending on the company, uh, and also work with them on strategy negotiations for their salary, depending on their industry. Because like I said earlier, every industry, you need to be negotiating differently if you're in healthcare, if you are in tech, oil and gas. And so all of those negotiations look a lot different. Now, with the salary negotiations, do you typically work with people who are at a stage in their career where they're about to review salary negotiations with their upper management? Or do you reach out to clients who they're not in talks, but they know basically they're being underpaid and they're ready to assert themselves and ask for the salary change? Like which client, you know, do you serve? Or is it a combination of both? So it's a combination of both because here's the thing. Uh, A new offer, that's one thing, but sometimes you need to fight where you stand. So if you Mm -hmm. tell me you've been with this company for 10, 15 years, yeah, I could get you more money somewhere else on the market, but you really need to bank on that tenure with the company you have. So Mm -hmm. negotiating is not a one-time thing. It's a year process. There's a whole blueprint for what stage you should be at in negotiations, right? You have to lay the foundation, set the expectation, open up a conversation. And this is not about money. This is about Mm -hmm. your expectations. Uh, And then you move into the time of the year that's the best time for you to ask for more money. Uh, Also, when you negotiate, they're probably not going to be able to do that overnight. And so what does that look like for you? What's the next step? What's the goal? Uh, So yes, I do a combination of both because it's one thing to negotiate a new offer, but how do you renegotiate with the same company every year? Uh, That is a lot different. It's also very different when it comes to salary renegotiations, when you are being promoted 
without a title. Uh, and that's something that typically happens to black women. We will be performing as a director, but we don't, we don't have that title. Mm. Wow. Yeah. So I know the second piece, obviously we discuss racism, but besides racism, as you mentioned, of course there's sexism, which not just Absolutely. minority women, white women, of course, deal with. Right. So I just feel it's a really tricky machine. So let's say we took the race out of the picture. Mm-hmm. How do you help women just get over the barriers just as because women are mistreated, you know, no matter their color, they're typically underpaid. Like we all know this there. I mean, it's, it's yeah, no secret. Right. So how, like, how do you guys combat that? You know, you as the coach and with your clients, like, how do you, how do women overcome that? Because it's just been taking place for as long as we all can recall. Women are average, are paid on average less, significantly less than their male counterparts, no matter their color. So, and that's right. when you know it's even worse when it's across the board, when you even take, take race out of the picture. So how true. can women overcome that? So I like to, you know, this is a very good question. Uh, there's a movie called Bombshell about the, mm-hmm. the horrible uh, sex, sexual harassment allegations and even rape that women yeah. experience at Fox News under the CEO. Uh, and these were all white women who were hardcore conservatives. Uh, the moment they did not do something uh, inappropriate for this man, he became a monster. And so the first thing you'll notice with those women across the board, they don't understand employment law, right? They don't understand mm-hmm. how the law works for them. Two, they're not documenting, right? Uh, and three, and last but not least, negotiating will save you so much pain. Uh, because mm-hmm. typically, statistically speaking, when women are coming in and you know your stuff, you know your worth, you're a communicator, you are a leader, and you speak with authority, people are less likely to pull that card with you. Uh, that typically happens when women, we don't feel comfortable talking. And even if you do feel comfortable talking, you can face being terminated for being too talkative. <laughs> And so uh, there are so many layers to that. And so what I like to say to some people is one, know your organization. Uh, if you work for a major organization like your Google, your Apple, your Amazon, and you see that there's something in the news about sexual harassment, racism, stay connected to that. Reach out to HR and ask them, hey, what do I do if I start to experience that? Stay ahead of it. Uh, so being intimately involved with the media coverage on your organization helps. Um, If you're interviewing for a new organization, I highly recommend that you go to Glassdoor and read what other people are saying before you just take that offer because you may walk into something that is a traumatizing aspect of your career. So everything is not about money. And so that's why I tell people to know the organization before you switch. If you enjoy listening to the QChat podcast, go ahead and subscribe to us on YouTube, Go Queen TV, and listen to the QChat podcast every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Central on the radio. Hits 107.3 The Beat. Go Queen. Because you can't solve and fix every issue overnight. Um, yeah. So that's the what, what I would tell people. If you are experiencing... Uh, sexual harassment at your current place of employment, uh, documentation, recording, uh, all of those things will also save you. Also, when you have direct conversations with the aggressor and you involve HR, uh, that saves you as well. So just being very comfortable with addressing the uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Have you ever had any clients where after you've assessed their 
current workplace, you know, what they're dealing with at their workplace. Have you ever had some clients where some of them, just from your assessment, you think, well, maybe they should move on to another company? Like, has that ever happened where, because there are toxic work environments to very toxic work environments where, you know, it's like a bad marriage. So Mm -hmm. do you come across that a lot where sometimes it's like, okay, this isn't a healthy environment for you? Yeah. Um, I, I, I'll be, I'll be in the middle of uh, a, a, a career assessment with them and I can determine like, wow, like you're at an organization, they are probably decades away from change. And so while I'm like the, you know, freedom fighter, or I don't mind the fight, you have to understand uh, my clients can become emotionally drained from that. Mm-hmm. Uh, they take right. that home and it also can become very traumatizing and cause depression. Um, so yeah. I like to tell people when you get that feeling of the, the weary dragged out feeling, it's time to go. I don't think yeah. that any corporation or job is worth your joy or your peace. Like you're going to yeah. have days where somebody gets on your last nerve, you know, and your boss is annoying. But if it's to a point where you are going home crying and you mm-hmm. feel heavy, it's weary or you're overworked. I had a friend who passed away at 41 because she was mm-hmm. overworked. So when mm-hmm. it's to a point where you're losing sleep or your health is at stake, it's time to go. And so, yes, I have those conversations with my clients and that happens more than often. Yeah. And I, t- I talk about that a lot. Like I mentioned, I was physically ill when I was working yeah, nine to five. Like I thought something was wrong. I was literally going to the doctor because I'm like, something is not right. And when I finally walked away, things shifted. So I definitely get what you mentioned about you know, sometimes it's a level of traumatization on the workplace. And I've always said that too, that when you're in an unhealthy work environment, it's literally toxic and it affects you physically. You know, I just had this conversation with someone earlier today. Uh, We did a recording that'll be released soon. And she's an entrepreneur now, but she mentioned as well, she was having severe migraines. She went to the doctor and they associated with stress. And that's when she finally decided to leave her work environment. So, you know, I just definitely wanted to say that because we, like I said, I talk about entrepreneurship a lot on the show, but I do try to be more transparent that it's not glamorous and everyone's different. And there's some (laughs) people who have their careers and their jobs and they love it. And that's amazing. You know, so like I always tell people, just make sure you're doing what you love. whether that's having that career or working for yourself, but just make sure you love it because it can kill you. literally that's a very good point yeah so how do you have that conversation though like when you like you know let's say you met sally and you've done her assessment you're like wow you know sally has a terrible (laughs) she's in a bad work environment and i can't it will will take (laughs) there's not enough strategists and coaching you know mythology that can help her like how do you have that conversation with the individual and tell them about hey, like this is possibly a toxic situation and you can do better at another company. How do you tell someone that? First things first, you protect your space at all costs. I have boundaries for family members, friends, and even clients and work. I'm not a therapist. I'm not a psychologist. Uh, I I can't start to work through the uh, emotional or mental stress a job is causing you. And so I always like to encourage my clients. One, if you do feel like you need some counseling, let me know so I can direct you to the resource for that. Right. Mm -hmm. But as far as your career goes, when you get to that place and the type of conversation that I have to have with a lot of my clients is what's the goal, 
right? Because yeah. mm-hmm. sometimes things can just be just, you know, crowding your vision. You have work, you have your wife, your husband, your kids, a wife or whatever it is that you have at home and, and, fa- and other elements at work. The question is to not lose focus. And so the first thing I'll talk about with my clients is, what makes you happy? When, when are you in that happy space? Where's your passion? And to kind of help them get there, I always, always recommend for my clients to take a personality uh, test. As stupid as that sounds, uh, Meyer Briggs is one of the best personality tests out there. A lot of corporations actually prefer you take this before they hire you. Uh, some of them will test you on this because if you are an introvert, your energy drains quicker than other people. And so a lot of people in your space and environment can drain you emotionally. So that's not Mm -hmm. even something where it's like a mental issue. That's your personality trait. You get drained. Uh, Ambiverts, Mm -hmm. I'm an ambivert. I have Mm -hmm. characteristics of an extrovert, but after long periods of time, I need to go recharge Um, because I'll start to feel that feeling of like, okay, that's enough uh, interacting with people. Um, and mm-hmm. extroverts are just naturally uh, really good at conversing. And 2020 was really hard for them because they were isolated. So they experienced depression. Uh, so mm-hmm. when you understand your personality traits, how you communicate, what your weaknesses are, you also, in the at the end of the test, they tell you recommendations for people with your personality type as far as career paths. And I think that's a really good place for you to start to look to find what it is you want to do. You may want to go into consulting you may want to take a step back for a minute. And so whatever your goals are, it's my job for you to help you paint that picture. And so that's how Mm -hmm. I have those conversations with my clients. I like to get to what, where they see themselves a year from now and get into that personality quiz or test result uh, after they do it, because it is extensive. uh, Mm -hmm. And then kind of sort through that to help them plan out the vision for that works for them. Mm -hmm. Are you still working in the industry um, besides the um, coaching? Yeah, I'm consulting with corporations and it's simply because I'm really good at what I do and I love it. Um, Mm -hmm. I do like, as weird as it sounds, oil and gas and tech uh, interests me uh, so much because it shows the signs of time, right? The Mm -hmm. quickness of things moving. uh, And I'm very grateful to be one of the few uh, people in my family that went off to college to get an education. So my place in consulting is natural for me and I actually love it. So yes, What's I still work with corporations. Yeah. Okay. What college did you go to? I went to Lamar in Beaumont, Texas. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And what made you have this interest initially? You know, when you were transitioning in high school and you were deciding what you were going to go to college for, what made you have this interest in this field in the first place? And I know like I'm from Louisiana, so I have relatives that majored in agriculture. So I get it, <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> you know, but what made did you have that interest in this field in the first place? So I was a STEM kid growing up. Science mm-hmm. was my, like, I love science. Bill Nye, the science guy, was mm-hmm. my thing. Like, you could not mm-hmm. tell me to turn that off. And so I grew up just really falling in love with science and being a STEM kid, uh, science, technology, engineering, math, That those are the focus of those programs. I didn't even realize like, wow, I'm pretty good at this. Like, I like to explore. I like to learn about the world around me and the how behind things. And so uh, it made sense for me to go to school for engineering. And while that program is hard for other people, it wasn't so much hard for me. It actually just taught me more discipline. Uh, It allowed me Mm -hmm. to also expand in other areas that I had not expanded. Um, And so that's where my trigger for engineering came from because 
I also found out how much money they made. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I was like, "Uh, I'm going to school for engineering. I like it. Uh, So that's what drove me in that direction. And I have no regrets. I also like music a lot. So I Mm -hmm. really went to school at first as a music major. That's something most people do not know about me. I went to school for music because I like to write a lot. Um, And that still wasn't enough. So I kept trying to kind of find my way through. Okay, that's really cool. So with the clients, and how long have you been working with clients? Oh, I've been doing this since... So it's funny because if you, when people ask me that question, I don't know how to answer because mm-hmm. even when I was working at Shell, I was helping mm-hmm. other people like, no, you need to ask for this. You need to do this. Like <laughs> that came natural for me. So, and I told you I did it at church and mm-hmm. until one lady was like, you need to have a calendar and let us book on it. And they would pay me. And I was like, I could do this as a career. <laughs> and so mm-hmm. I actually officially left the working for someone in 2015, no, 20. 16, I stopped working for corporate America. Okay. So since you've been working with clients and helping them, which is, I think this is an amazing service, actually, what is your average success story? If you had to think of all the people that you've worked with, if just any particular person or just a journey you've worked with them stood out, what would be the typical success story? And before you answer that question, How long, like when you get a client and you're trying to help them, you know, as a strategic and a coach, what's the duration normally that you work with the clients? And after that, I'd like to know what would you consider a success story? So I like that question. The success stories, if you want to see them in detail on my website, slaypedia.com and LinkedIn, I have a client who wrote a testimonial recently about her experience. But I think the most exciting aspect of this is when I'll have those people who tell me, oh no, you don't know the organization I work for. They're not going to pay that. And I'm like, okay, Mm -hmm. so let's just walk through the work. Let's do the work. Let's walk through Mm -hmm. it. And then when they go through the negotiations and they come back crying, like telling me, oh, my company outbid the company that I thought I was going to go to. So you were right. And Mm -hmm. uh, it's one recently, she was very severely underpaid. And I remember the first client that ever made me really feel like this was my purpose, she was in South Africa. And in South Africa, oil and gas companies kind of exploit the engineers there and they pay them like literally 40K a year. It's really bad. And she came into my program, paid in full, uh, making Mm -hmm. 40K a year, taking care of her whole family. And I just could not forget the sound of her voice when she got an offer from McKinsey for 170,000 a year. Cause that was wow. her market value. And then she was like, no, the company I'm with, you don't understand Ms. Green. Like they won't pay me that. They ended mm-hmm. up offering her t- over 200 K to stay. Wow. That was a story that like stuck with me for years. And that's when I went really hard with my brand because I was like, wow, I'm that changed somebody's whole trajectory of their life. You know, she was creeping at poverty uh, with an amazing talent and an amazing education, a a crazy set of skills. And just teaching her how to communicate that and bank on it shifted everything for her. So that's what the one thing I enjoy listening to women who were single moms or recently divorced tell me that they make enough to cover all of the bills. Like that I'm, I get to see african-american people break generational curses from going to barely making it or or, you know making kind of good money to moving into generational wealth and i think that is the most beautiful part of my journey with this program 
That's amazing. And yeah. that's, that's joy. Okay. That is, you joy. know, that is amazing. It is. And how long would, like, how long was the average duration working with just that client for an example? Like, how long did it take for you to help her and coach her? Because that's an amazing negotiation. Like, how long did right. that take? That took us three months. And she was dedicated. We met on a weekly basis because I always tell people when you come into the program, it's what you give it. If you come in Mm -hmm. and you want to meet once a month, we'll move, but it's going to be at your pace. And so when she came in, we had our weekly sessions. She was, I prepped her for her interviews. Like we did everything, the career assessment, the LinkedIn, the resume, and she got, she was moving. Uh, So the quickest turnaround for me is like a month to three months. Uh, Mm -hmm. And the slowest turnaround is typically if a person is trying to go from a project manager or a project staff member to a VP title, because it takes a little bit of finesse and work there. That could be a year to six months we work together. Uh, But I am proud to say I have never had a client go through my program and not get a result. So that's Mm -hmm. something I see myself in. Wow, that's amazing. Right. So this has been a phenomenal <laughs> conversation. And I really Thank do you. hope that someone listens who, number one, I hope someone takes away from this conversation is to not undervalue your work. Amen. You know, I think so many minority women in particular, they're being grossly underpaid. And yeah. just like the example you said, sometimes I think we're so defeated sometimes in the workplace that we don't realize at least, if anything, negotiate and see what you can get. You know, I think sometimes people won't, they're too afraid to even take that step because, you know, they just figure, oh, well, this is just the way it's supposed to be. I'm supposed to be underpaid and unhappy. And that's the end of it, you know? Yes. So we think that we're rocking the boat or looking like we're complaining or angry Black woman. And that is not what negotiations equate to. Right, of course. And that's an unfortunate stigma. I feel that we as African-American women, minority women, mm-hmm. have that in the workplace. I've witnessed it. You know, I worked in an industry where, you know, I would see people crying at work, you know, because they were wow. being chewed out by the male counterparts. Just, you know, absolutely ridiculous, which, of course, is extremely unhealthy. But same thing when you say something, especially as African-American women, you have an attitude, you're aggressive, you know, and that's just such an unfortunate thing, which I hope there will be a day where that stigma is erased because there's so many phenomenal women in so many industries and they deserve respect, you know? So I really do hope things like that change. So one thing I do want to end the show with, as I mentioned, I do always ask my guests and you are working with some phenomenal queens. So I'm excited to hear your answer. So I do want to ask you, Miss Daniela Green, How do you define a queen? I define a queen to a person who owns their space and you establish what the rules are. You don't allow other people to do that for you. Um, I also believe that queens have this authoritative and amazing ability to speak over themselves. You don't allow someone to tell you what you can do or where, how far you're going to go. You create the world around you and you realize that that's power to me. Oh, I love that. Thank you again. And before we go, I want you to give all the listeners all your information, your LinkedIn, your website, if you're on social media, email, everything. Give everyone all your contact information, how they can reach you. Sure. 
First, thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. I'm so excited. I love to be on platforms with other women of color. I get excited uh, because even if one person listens, that's somebody's life that just changed uh, and they found their worth or just got blessed from just listening. Uh, You can find me on facebook.com backslash Slaypedia. So it's Slay, S-L-A-Y, Pedia like Wikipedia. Uh, So, and then on Instagram, it's also instagram.com backslash Slaypedia. Twitter, my at handle is is Slaypedia. Um, And on LinkedIn, I'm under Daniela Green International. And I'm based here out of Houston, Texas. Thank you so much. And this has been a blessing. And like I said, I do talk about entrepreneurship a lot, but I definitely am happy that I spoke to someone that is in a career field because I do want people that listen who are on all scopes to understand, love yourself. I say that every episode to go love yourself and loving yourself. I've always said that that ties into what you do for a living. If you love yourself, you know that you don't need to be underpaid. You don't need to be in a toxic work environment. You don't need to be in any situation that devalues you or affects your health. So this has been an absolute blessing. And I definitely, I know someone is going to pick up tools from this. And even someone who actually may be working for themselves, they still, I feel they would get some knowledge from this conversation, even in negotiations. Hey, know your worth. Okay. Don't be afraid to assert yourself and assert that correct price. So I think it actually, this conversation can apply to people who are working for themselves as well too. So they know not to lower their value. And for those transitioning, because the last thing I want to say is what drove me to start my own business, I needed the capital. And so Mm -hmm. if I wanted that capital, I knew I had to kind of hustle my way up the ladder really quickly to gain that. So there's a plan and working your way up to the top. Believe it. Yes. Yes. I love this conversation. Thank you so much again. Thank you so much for having me. And I know this conversation is going to be a blessing. So I do wish you all the success and all that for your clients too, because just that story that you mentioned about the woman that went from 40,000 to over 200K, that is an absolute blessing. And that's a testimony. That's a miracle. (laughs) That story alone just speaks volumes just to, if you believe in yourself and know your worth, you know, in yourself. Yes. So that, that gives me chills just to hear something like that. So thank you so much for sharing this story with us. I really appreciate you and I love your energy. And thank you to everyone that is tuned into the QChat podcast. This episode will be streaming on YouTube and the audio version will be available on all streaming platforms. And this episode will be on the radio on the hits 107.3, which is exciting. The QChat is going to the radio starting January the 12th. So this has just been an amazing experience and I'm so happy that we met and thank you again. Thank you for having me. It's been nice. Uh, Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Q Chat Podcast. This podcast is sponsored by Queen's Arrogance LLC. Our company website is www.goqueen.com. 